So we'll get started and then as other people join us, we'll, we'll just welcome them into the, the gang. So my name is Claire Marie Boggiano and I'm delighted to welcome you all to the second um, Angels at Essex Female Founders and Investors Networking event. Um, I know some of you were with us last month when we launched um, in May, so welcome back. And I can see some new faces as well. So we're delighted to have you here. Um, I'm going to I'm going to introduce the team that um, are, are well work together to make this happen. And um, the, the vision behind this um, network is really to cre create a community and to link with the female founders and investors all across the east of England. I know there is an awful lot going on already, so it's definitely to complement what's going on rather than compete. And I'm a firm believer in networks that the power is connecting the networks and building more relationships. So we want to contribute to that and be part of that ecosystem and um, bring value. And there's very much, there's two key elements uh, we want to make sure happen um, every month. And that's, um, you know, you hear from some great speakers and also you get the opportunity to network and meet some amazing people and reconnect with people you already know and meet some new people that you maybe haven't met yet. So I'm going to introduce the team. You probably tell some of them from their yellow banners, the Angel at Essex. So there's John and Josh and Kaylin, you can all wave, and also Chi Chi and Natalie and myself. So it's the six of us that um, busy about making all this happen. So if you've got ideas or thoughts and suggestions, please do connect with us um, on that. And John, I'm gonna hand over to you maybe to say a word or two about what your, your vision is behind this. Yes, thank you, Claire Marie. And uh, thank you to the team as well, because for putting this together, really grateful. Yes, I mean, University of Essex, Angels at Essex and our investment readiness program has been very successful. We launched just over a year ago, May of last year, and we've actually raised over six million pounds for founders during that time. And we've given 190 founders some one-to-one -one support during that time as well. So, but it's not enough. It's never enough. And we can see that there is a, a, a need to help and support female investors and a help and need to support female founders. And that's why we've organized this particular group because we see that there is a gap in the market. And as Claire Marie quite rightly said, we're not here to compete against any other organization. We're here to network right across the region. And that's why we've engaged with Nuri. Thank you. Cheers, John. Thank you. So um, I think the only other thing for me to um, mention at this stage is there is a Twitter handle that will probably magically appear in the chat box. So feel free to use that as you um, any social media that you want to do. Um, Angels at Essex FFI. And, um, and now I have the honor of um, introducing our first speaker. Let me just share the format of, of, of our events really. So we'll always have a, a keynote speaker and then we'll have breakout um, networking time. And then we will hear from a founder and get the, the founder story. And then we will hear um, a sort of investor angle. Um, so that, and then we'll close up and that will take us up to two o'clock. So that, that's the rhythm that we're hoping we can do every month. So it is um, a great honor to be able to introduce Jenny, Jenny Tooth from the 
um, UK Business Angels Association. Jenny, I'm very impressed that you're up and shiny and here because I know you were celebrating and partying last night at an award ceremony. So thank you very much for being part of today. And I'm, I'm going to hand over straight to you to sort of introduce yourself, introduce the organization. And I know um, you've a lot of insights and um, strong beliefs on, on this whole arena for female founders and investors. So I'm going to hand over to you. Thank you. Um, and and it, is a, it is a pleasure to be here. And thank you very much, uh, Claire Marie and John, for this, uh, for this invitation. Uh, a great pleasure. I, I only wish I was up partying last night, but with online Zoom events, it does get a bit more limiting. But, uh, but thank you for that thought, perhaps for next year. Um, so yes, so my role is uh, as I, I run the trade body for angel investing across the UK, and I've been doing that since 2012. Um, so a, a, a long-standing um, supporter of angel investing, and I've been angel investing myself for, for, for some time as well. Um, so this is really, for me, uh, a very exciting opportunity, talking to a new group, very impressed by the figures, John. Um, that sounds a great amount of money raised. And I think the intention behind this is so, so, so important to me. My, my role, although my role is very much to help build and grow angel investment across the UK, I'm tackling really what is a very, very serious issue. And that is that probably only about 20% and possibly even less than that of the visible angel market at the moment is, is women investors. Um, and we all know how important uh, we meet women investors are. The reason I am especially uh, keen to see many more women angel investors is actually because we know from all of the work we've done and our research that women oh. have between, oh. sorry, I have a dog, sorry, get down, get down, get down. 30 to, sorry, dogs always appear in shows, don't they? 30 to 50% of my, um, of, of the investment that women make is in, is actually in women founders. Right, where'd you go? Sorry. I've got a cat you that's currently going crazy in here. So. You can tell this is live. <laughs> Not live, you can tell it's live. <laughs> right, anyway, so. Where were we? So yeah, so so really that's why it's very important. And also because we know that during COVID, women founders have had a special challenges. And this is something that has been ongoing. It's a systemic issue in this country. So we have women founders who have constantly been challenged to access investment, and we don't have enough women there as investors to back those great founders. And whilst those two things are not totally interdependent, as, as I said, because of that high empathy between women investors and women founders, this is fundamental to any strategy. So delighted that you've got women investors and women founders coming together. This is a very important start. Um, if we look at uh, I know a lot of the challenges across there, for most women, it's about access, it's about knowledge, it's about insight, and it's often about awareness of the opportunity. And we know that for those women who are investing and investing successfully here in the UK, it's very much down to the, the communities within which they are operating. And you'll find that the real reason many women don't invest is because they don't know enough women who are investing. So one of the biggest areas that I am very focused on is women talking about their investing, women sharing their stories about investing, and women acting as role models to, to, to other women. 
Um, it's also worth saying for those women founders in the room, for those of you who have successfully accessed investment, the same applies. Your stories of how you found investors and how investors supported you is also you know, an incredibly important part of that too. Because one of the big areas that also holds women back is that they say they don't meet enough women founders who are looking for investment. So, you know, making it, you know, being visible about this is, is very important indeed. And, and if we look at sort of one of the, the big opportunities for women as to why this is so important, it's really because angel investing is a team sport. It really works best in syndicates. And we've proved that over many years. And if you look at the US market and the UK market, you can see that, um, that the most successful angel investing happens in syndicates, you know, where people are pooling their knowledge, pooling their skills, pooling their money, sharing their risks and sharing and sharing those further funding opportunities as well. So we know that working together makes sense. Um, and we also know that for women, what's so important is that this is social. This is a sociable activity. This is all about um, making those choices and making those decisions alongside other women, alongside other women you trust and get to know. So that's why a group like this and creating syndicates around investment is so important for, for women. Um, it's also worth bearing in mind that many women have rarely been given their advice by their financial advisor. So I don't know how many of you in the audience have been working with financial advisors or are financial advisors, but one of the big areas that we have spotted, uh, which is a major difficulty, is that they're not advised to angel invest. They're not told about the fantastic tax breaks, about EIS and SEIS. And I, I don't think I'll go into those today. But I'm sure many of you are aware of them. But actually, that take up of those as a risk mitigator is absolutely fundamental. Um, and so we've got an advisory community and a general community that's not really supporting women. So, you know, what you're doing is very important today. I would like to also add that the whole point about angel investing is that, you know, you are not just putting equity into a business. You are not just putting risk capital there and taking some shares in a business. You are giving them your advice, your help, your expertise and your mentoring. And that is so valuable. And for women founders to have an experienced woman around them who's been there and done it and knows a lot more about business they do than they do um, has been fundamental. And, and under COVID, we've seen how important that is, particularly for many of us who've been through at least one or two financial crises you know, before now we've known how to give that strategic advice and help and, and that's been fundamental too. Um, so, I, you know, we, we, we can't say enough how important it is to have more, more women um, out there. Um, perhaps the, the other important thing really is the approach to decision making. Um, we know, for example, that, you know, having women in the room at the same time as men is likely to really change the approach to making a decision about which, which, you know, which entrepreneurs to back. So having that mixed team, that mixed thought process um, in the due diligence process and in the assessment and decision-making process is absolutely fundamental. And women can play a very important part in that. I will say we don't have enough lead angels among women. Uh, women have tended up to now to kind of follow a little bit. So where we have a strong group of women, um, I, do, I do urge you to think who can be leads. And those leaders don't have to be the people with the most money. 
they can be people with expertise and with time uh, and with the energy to want to help support. And, and you need leaders because often it's difficult to mobilize around a deal. There's a lot of factors to consider. Um, you're working with the entrepreneur and helping to pull all the details together, but you're also, there's also a legal process involved as well. And so you need, you need someone who's going to take, take that lead. And then ongoing, so important to have that, that pair of hands, those people there involved with the business, not too involved, I might add. Um, we've certainly proved that over time, if you get over-involved in a business as an investor, you are not doing the entrepreneur a favor. You definitely need to give them time to run their own business. But being there as a very helpful strategic advisor and addressing some of the key areas that you might have more knowledge about, perhaps under areas like you know, HR or finance or marketing um, is absolutely invaluable. So I do encourage women who perhaps have the time to think of becoming a lead angel and helping to build syndicates around them. I think that will be, that will be very important indeed. And um, it's also worth bearing in mind that Another reason many women don't engage, and this is where syndication becomes so important, is many women feel you have to be very rich to be an investor. And the one thing that we have totally uh, tried to dispel as a myth is that you need to be able to put a huge amount of your own personal wealth aside to be an investor. And most people are making relatively small investments in a significant number of deals you're looking to build a portfolio. So your main approach is to be putting, you know, and again, it depends on the entrepreneurial deal, but from 5,000 pounds upwards is a perfectly acceptable amount to be putting into a single deal as an early stage woman investor, a woman who's just starting out to invest. And you might increase that as your confidence builds and grows. So I think all of those are very important points to bear in mind um, when you're investing. And when you're talking to people who are considering investing, you don't have to be rich. But the one thing you do have to bear in mind is that one amount of, one, one funding round is rarely enough for a growing entrepreneur. So when you're thinking of backing a woman founder, it's incredibly important to bear in mind that if you're putting five or 10K in that first round, have you got another five or 10K that you can follow that uh, further down the line as, as the entrepreneur grows and needs more money? And the beauty of syndication is that you can mobilize that money around you. You reach out to more women, you reach out to more 5Ks and 10Ks in order to kind of build, build that up. So that's the advantage of having a pool of people. Um, when you are an individual investor, that's very challenging if it's all down to you. So, um, and, so that's very important to bear in mind. And another reason why syndication is so important is that, you know, how many deals can you manage? How many deals can you follow? Probably only a few if you're doing it in your own right. But if you're a group, you share the load, you share your skills and knowledge. Who's got some HR knowledge? Who's got some marketing knowledge? You know, who can help them with this and that? Um, so all of those um, issues are important to consider when helping to build a group around you. And I always say to founders, one investor isn't going to be enough for you, even if they can give you a lot of money. What happens further down the line? What happens when that investor is making another deal or is preoccupied? So you need you need that pool of people around you. Um, I think another thing to bear in mind, though, is there's often a lot of confusion about, you know, what, what does success look like for angel investing? And it's been extremely difficult to tell that, mainly because it is a very private sport. Uh, not that many, um, not that much information is shared. But I would say the one thing to remember is that it is a marathon. It's not a race. 
it's a long-term game. Your money is sitting, you know, within an entrepreneur for, for several years and through potentially multiple funding grounds, not just from your own money, but from maybe further venture capital money um, or, or even, you know, bank debt or so that, that accumulates. To get to that long-term point where they may sell the business and exit can be 10 years and is frequently 12 or 13 years for the best exit. There are only a few occasions when Google comes around the corner and buys it. Um, it's much more likely to be a long-term game. And, and that's worth bearing in mind. You know, your money is tied up, but having a portfolio is fundamental because there's a constantly revolving opportunity for you there as, as those deals come to maturity. And it is worth bearing in mind, and I'm sure you know this only too well, that a lot of those businesses will not grow into those success stories and will be, you know, will be actually um, slow grow, but possibly very enjoyable investments. I mean, my own experience really shows that, too, that I have a lot of um, I have a lot of ones that have not returned huge amounts of uh, money, but have certainly been a lot of fun and a lot of enjoyment and uh, a lot of pleasure. Um, seeing those businesses grow, working with those founders and entrepreneurs, um, just, you know, it's really, you know, a very exciting area to, to bear in mind. Um, I, I think that I was, I think when I was kind of thinking about, you know, um, kind of ad advice to female founders as well, alongside the angel investment, because I know, you know, it's important for, for women founders to understand their opportunities as well. Um, what I would say is that, the, the big the big challenges and we found this from our work that we did with the investing in women code is that actually women are asking for too little money now that may sound often a surprise but they're asking for 50 percent less than their male counterparts and this is an actually very very serious issue so where men will go and ask for a million pounds women will ask for half a million pounds and women-led teams especially are tending to under ask so I would say and this is something it's it's not a it's not a positive it's actually a negative thing because actually when you under ask first of all that to a, an investor can show that perhaps you lack that ambition to grow but also it also worries us. We think you might get to run out of money very soon if you're really going to build and grow that business. But thirdly, do you really understand your business and your growth needs if you're asking less money? And so don't think that you are more appealing to ask for less. Ask for what you need. Be ambitious and be strategic in, in that ask. Um, and I think you will find you get the you get the investment that you need. And that is true whether you're approaching men or, or women. You know, we do we do look at that and say, is this a sensible funding strategy? And then I, what I would say is to any woman who's still you know, hesitant and thinking, should I invest? I think it's worth bearing in mind that this is, a you know, there is there is so much to mitigate your risks. Um, you know, you have wonderful tax breaks. We have co-investment funds. We have people who've been doing it for years. Um, and so it's always worth making sure that you are doing it alongside people who do know it, who do know what they're doing, who can answer your questions as you go along. And also making sure that you feel very, you know, very confident in, in your investing decision. Um, the worst thing is decide to become an angel and not invest. So I would say start, you know, you can start small and build big, but do work alongside others. 
do, do, do draw on the experience of others. And groups like this become a fundamental way to really um, share and network and gain, you know, gain that knowledge and experience. And most importantly, seeing great founders, things that really entice you to want to put your money there. So I, I'm going to stop there because there may be a few questions, but I want to say how supportive I am. And, you know, as a trade body, this is right down the middle of where we want to be, which is seeing great groups like this come together. Oh, thank you very much, Jenny. Thank you for that. And I think you've given us lots of lessons there. Basically, we need more money. We need to ask for more money. I mean, we should be good at this for shop from our shopping history. You know that you always need more than you think. Um, and also, you know, you don't have to have a lot to get started and working with others. I, you know, I personally have had an experience. I coach a lot of senior female leaders and I have started having conversations with them now or have they considered being an angel investor? And it's just very exciting to, and, and they hadn't even thought of it, you know? So it's really exciting. Okay, so we have a few minutes for some questions or comments or observations, sort of wave at me or who, who would like to, Catherine, I can see you waving. Hi, hello. Um, I'm in Northumberland, so I don't know whether I should be here or not actually, whether I class, I'm classed as the East of England, Northeast England. So anyway, oh, yeah. even, even if I'm into looping. Um, Jenny, you mentioned there about women asking for less. I've got, I see ice assurance of a hundred thousand. And I was assuming that that would be what investors would want to see, even though I need more. So how would you play that game? Yeah. <laughs> no, that's a very important point. I mean, the, the fact that you can offer investors SEIS relief up to, you know, up to a, a, a hundred, a hundred K is actually not, that should not be your self limit because investors can also access EIS, you know, at 30% over and above that. So when you're making that, that, you know, that pitch, you say, you know, I can offer, I, you know, I'm looking for say 300 K the first 100 K or actually 150 K um, I can offer at SEIS um, and I can offer, you know, angels can invest 100K, but you can ask for 150K SEIS. So I'm going to offer the first 150K at SEIS and the other 150K will be an EIS. You, you will be able to access EIS. So, you know, and, and then it's sort of down to the investors how they carve that up. So, you know, on the basis that you're not just talking to one investor, but you're talking to a group, you know, that will, that will be kind of, um, you know, worked out between them. But don't, do not let the ESEIS self-limit you. I can't tell you how many pictures I've seen. I'm asking for 150K. Oh, that happens to be the SEIS limit. Don't do that. No, no. Okay. And the beauty of it is the government's now allowed EIS and SEIS to run absolutely concurrently. So you Brilliant. can you just structure it in that kind of way. I've got a tranche of this and a tranche of that to offer. Okay, thank you very much. Thanks. Okay, and we have one comment and, and we're cutting for time here, but we have one comment. Please, can you explain the terminologies? Um, ESCIS and SCIS. Right. Do, do you, I don't know whether you're doing this at all as a group, but you genuinely need to have a session on enterprise investment scheme and seed enterprise investment scheme. So the enterprise investment scheme gives, gives investors a 30% tax relief um, as uh, on your income tax, as well as, as, as relief from capital gains tax. And, and if you're investing in an early, a very early stage business who's not had investment before, you can gain a 50% tax relief under the seed enterprise investment scheme. These are absolutely wonderful 
for encouraging investment. And as, as founders, they are your gift to investors. So, you know, you can offer them a fantastic, if you invest in me, I can give you a big tax break. That's what you want to say. That sounds like a good deal. Um, we have time for one more comment. I think Simone, you've put a question in there. Do you wanna um, offer that up? Barbara? Sure, 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 sure. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Um, Jenny, I was wondering, um, is there a is there a very clear distinction and legal line between an angel, especially a lead angel, and the advice that they're giving to a founder, and the role of the non-executive director? Justin, I, I, I said in the chat that I just remember some training that, you know, if they look like a director, smell like a director, act like a director, they're a they're director. An angel. Exactly. You know, I mean, an angel, an angel's, you know, making their own decision and it's their own money, their own risk capital. They should not be putting money into a business and then charging any fees at all uh, uh, on top of any help, the help and support they give. They're there. They're there to make their investment work by helping to bring their advice and support. So if you have someone who says, I'm happy to come into your business and be, you know, and be an NED, I mean, and, and maybe you can give me some shares or something. That's not that's not angel investing. I mean, angel investing, you know, that you, that you meet a lot of kind of hybrid things around this. And I need to be very careful as an entrepreneur. And also anyone who's thinking of investing, don't get confused. You either are investing your money and then freely giving your time and support as part of that offering, because it's in your interest to do so. Um, if you're there and you're wanting to work in a business and take, you know, and 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 uh, and take money back or shares, that's 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 not angel investing. And I, I would also say to all women founders, be very careful at anyone who wants to take a significant amount of equity in your business for a small amount of money. You should never be giving away more than about 15% of your business in the early stages. Um, and anyone who wants, you know, those kind of deals with you. Um, I, I think you should be very cautious um, about that indeed. And, and to be honest, as an early stage business, you shouldn't be paying you know, executive directors. I will say anyone who has been a director on an NED already in a business will not be eligible for EIS or SEIS relief if they then go on to invest. So it doesn't work the other way around either. So, you know, worth bearing in mind. Thank you. Oh, so there's some good magic numbers in there. And I can see, Rose, you've mentioned about having an investor who wanted to work for a year and get paid after the year and invest 17.5 and you decline so it looks like well done you did the right thing yes but yeah. um, it, it is be you know people need to be you say can you clarify exactly what what this is about you know um because i i don't think you want those kind of mixed messages from people but you know an angel deal you know doesn't something that sort of emerges out of something else and also there's a danger of that anyway from that person they should be very aware as i said of their own tax position if they do that um so i'd keep those roles separate and i am delighted to welcome chloe barrett from immersify education and chloe Chloe has been a founder for quite a long time and is in the sort of scale up stage. So, Chloe, welcome to the Zoom room. Um, we'll put you on speaker view. And if you'd like to introduce yourself, introduce your organisation and your journey so far and what you think is happening next. Great. Thanks, Claire-Marie. Um, I'll just share my screen. Great. Can you see that? OK. We can. Yes. Perfect. 
Um, yeah, no, thank you for inviting me to talk about my journey. Um, as you say, yeah, I've been uh, at a previous company before military education. So, um, yeah, you know, been through the, the ups and downs of uh, starting and growing a company. Um, so just to tell you a bit about Mercer Education, so I'm the uh, founder and CEO, um, and we are a, we're, we're basically an interactive educational delivery application, but we utilize augmented reality, um, AI, gamification, personalization, and expert content, and we combine this into a one-of-a-kind resource. So we're currently in um, further and higher education, and we're in dentistry and medical areas at the moment and yeah we're, we're doing another fundraise to really scale into other academic areas so just to give you a bit of a background of where Mercify Education came from I uh, my previous business was in dental education and my background's in dentistry um, business and law that I did at university and um, two separate quals and um, yeah, huge, hugely interested in the business world from, from a very young age. Um, and yeah, I grew that company um, throughout the UK, my previous company. And what was happening was, you know, as you do in any company, you look at profit and loss, look at how you can improve things. And we were losing money on developing educational resources for all our qualifications. Um, and, you know, the more I looked around, you know, you were buying lots of books and this was very focused on dental and medical quals. So the books are very expensive, but mainly all the pain points came from bridging that gap between that theory knowledge that you learn in the classroom and at home and then actually going into a practical um, ex experience. So actually doing it in a clinic. And there's just a huge gap, you know, when you go home, really what you do is you look um, on social media, for example, you look at YouTube and it's just not standardized content. So we had a lot of students coming in with unstandardized content and, um, and yeah, the books obviously very, very not engaging at all. Um, so yeah, many problems and it was costing us a lot of money to ask, you know, lecturers, teachers um, to build educational resources when they're not taught to build educational resources and the book they're taught to teach and to tutor. Um, so yeah, the outputs, you know, for the resources were very poor and I wanted to improve that area. I'd seen augmented reality quite a while ago, probably six years ago when it first became, it wasn't commercialized as, as such then, um, but I'd seen it and really wanted to in, include this into, our, into my own company, but I, I couldn't because there was nothing out, nothing out there. So I decided to, um, after a lot of research and understanding the market a bit more in the in the uh, you know in this area, I decided to exit that company and set up what now and invest my money and set up what now is immersive education. So um, yeah, just a bit about I suppose the resource landscape. So we have very you know textbooks which are disengaging. You know all the information is very dispersed across um, the internet. It's unreliable, unstandardized content. Um, the PowerPoints are very repetitive, inconsistent, and it's very, very difficult for educational education institutions and also students to get their hands on very, um, yeah, concise, portable information. Um, but ultimately, that again bridges that gap between theory and practical learning. So yeah, we are lowering costs um, for educational institutions, and we are helping. Um, to actually support academic grades as well. Um, so a lot of our resources are being embedded into curriculums. 
So just a bit about where, where, where we've got to. So we've got um, two products in the market. Uh, we have a B2C product, which is complementary to our B2B. And we, this is over the last 12 months, we've signed corporate sponsorship agreements. So they sponsor our, our um, application on the App Store. Uh, we are used in 120 different countries. We're developing a social reach. Um, we've got about 200,000 now on social reach. Five stars on app reviews. We've got really, really good, good app reviews as well. Um, and we base this B2C product on a subscription model, which we're converting in 2022. But at the moment, we're building a very, very large user base. Again, looking at the B2B products, so we've sold this and had pre-orders from universities. Um, we piloted this across the UK and Europe, so France, Germany, and the Netherlands. We've already got international traction, working with some schools in India and the US. Um, and again, we've, we've just going through accreditation on, on some, with some awarding bodies. And yeah, just being recognized. We have, we have expert content writers as well that write all our content. So the, the good thing, you know, instead of the content writers writing a full book, which they normally would, it takes them years, they can write chapters for all in weeks. And it may, so this basically allows them to, um, to offer their expert uh, content uh, globally very, very quickly. So the traction for them is, is, is very much this. It's, it's being able to be on a global platform, um, yeah, on, on a technology platform. So a bit about where we've been. So starting, I'd say, you know, obviously research and other things happened before 2019, but we did a concept in early 2019, and then we successfully piloted this in the UK um, and in Europe. And then December 2019, uh, we raised and secured a funding round. And then May 2020, this is when we launched our B2C product. Um, and this was trending number three on, on the Play Store. And then we secured further investment. Uh, we generated revenue with global sponsors in November 2020. January this year, we actually launched our B2B product. Um, we've already sold that into quite big universities and had pre-orders already for our, our other modules, which aren't even finished yet. Um, so yeah, successful trials and pilots already, already began really early in um, 2019. So we've been really making sure the technology is robust, making sure everything we're doing is, you know, we're very student-led as a company. We work really closely with students, really closely with academics. Um, and yeah, it's really, it's a collaborative thing, making sure that what we're building is very suitable for this generation of learners, but ultimately it's scalable. And it's absolutely, you know, gonna, gonna hit the nail on the head in terms of what they need for resources. So how are technologies I suppose it's designed to scale. So we've got expansion, you know, we've got limited, limitless opportunities in terms of academic areas, which we're already currently working on. We've got global reach already. Um, we've been working very, very much on processes and I'd highly recommend any, any um, you know, any team as you grow to really, really outline the processes in a business. So from a development process side to a marketing, you know, to from sales, really try and get um, a good a good platform built before you start uploading loads and loads of information. I think, you know, for us, for example, on a development, we've streamlined the content um, and the infrastructure from the tech um, 
very well in terms of, you know, it was taking us six months ago, 12 months ago, it's taken us 30 to 45 days to input content. And now it takes us under an hour. So because we've built the infrastructure, we've also built the process. So we have a publishing arm, which feeds into our development arm. And it's, it's very, um, our effort arm. So it's very, um, yeah, it's, we've worked really hard, hard on that. Some of our red, uh, revenue streams. So we've got our B2B subscription model. We do B2B subscription model. Uh, we've got global sponsors. Um, we also open other doors up um, in the coming future to um, recruitment um, in terms of supporting our uh, B2C subscription model, you know, for students who are coming through and need to, you know, secure different job opportunities. We're also looking at that. And also the data. The data has been absolutely key. You know, we there's still, you know, AR and VR and the areas we're working in, in are still quite new areas. So you can imagine the type of data we're collecting and how, how uh, users are interacting with the technologies that, that we've embedded. The addressable market, um, we're in the ed tech market, so it's huge. Um, for us, you know, we're really looking at the key areas um, for academic areas that need practical resources so for example um you know anywhere that you know brings more hands-on so other areas we're working in now at the moment is um, like medicine and nursing you know the areas that are very practical veterinary is another one we're just just forming at the moment so any areas that are very practical that they're the areas we're really targeting so we've identified about 32 currently on our roadmap um so yes yeah. The market is a growing market as well with AR. Um, yeah, it's growing significantly, plus being in between uh, ed tech, software, et cetera. So other academic areas, as I just, just explained briefly, um, we are expand, expanding into, and you know, with that is an effective additional academic areas to you know, give us exponential growth. Um, and that's sort of just an example of what that looks like in terms of our growth. So, thoughts, observations, questions for Chloe? John, your hand went up fastest. Okay. Chloe, where now, this is interesting. Where are you looking for the funding? Who are you approaching? Are you on any platforms or are you going to any syndicates? How, how are you going about raising funding for your venture? Yeah. Um, so, a mixture of things. So, we're on a couple of different platforms. Um, I obviously because I've previously raised before I have a few you know contacts that I've already known previously and then got back in touch with it could be that we're fundraising early and we're a bit too early for those investors but actually I've re-engaged with them now we're further on um yeah and to be honest not just the UK so we're talking to a couple of investors in the UAE US um so yeah we're definitely putting feelers out there for different different investors because we're currently raising 1.2 million so you know it does give us a bit of more of a reach in terms of that amount um and and yeah a, a couple of places really John. thank you thank you so next question or comment or observation raise your hand wave at me or jump in I think you've silenced them big style. 
Chloe. I mean, certainly, you know, I mean, I've heard you speak before quite a long time ago, and I can see the dramatic, you know, different state, like you're in a different world now, aren't you? So how has that journey been for you personally? Yeah, um, yeah, I think, you know, there's lots and ups and downs in, in building a company and scaling it, you know, I think you're, we're at this next point now where, you know, we've got a lot more team members on, the team's grown quite significantly. And, you know, it's just making sure that I think having those key people in place, whether that, you know, we have a board of directors, for example, that support strategic things, but we also have, um, you know, sort of head of departments now, making sure we're setting those up. And I think just the, in, the infrastructure has just changed. So as you grow, you know, Especially fundraising, you know, fundraising and managing a business um, when you're, you know, you're bringing on more customers, more sales, more products, it just changes. Um, you know, you think you'd be in a better position from being maybe pre-seed to seed and a series A. You are, but it, ultimately the, the stress of fundraising doesn't change and you just end up having more to do. But, you know, you know not that said, I think the journey for me has been, you know, you learn so much you know not every day every day is so different I couldn't see myself doing anything else now like I absolutely love just yeah starting and growing companies really for me but yeah I think the team as well you know just working with people every day that I love to work with is, is such a joy and yeah just building different things and yeah it's just been it's, it's great like it is really great I think when you look at look at back of what we've achieved I think that's what a lot of founders don't do and I'm I definitely don't do this is look at actually what we've achieved so far we're, I'm always thinking next next I need to achieve the next thing and you end up then you know not really enjoying the process and I think absolutely reflecting and enjoying the journey is you know I think that's one of the things that you really need to do so I'm trying I'm trying best I'm trying to be better at enjoying enjoying every single day rather than you know the hard days and the good days yeah and Daryl do you have a comment or a question you want to ask yeah, I actually spoke to Chloe god it must be three four years ago when I was involved with Swoop and so it's been amazing just to see because again I know it, it, it was a frustration in your early stage trying to raise funding so it's fantastic to see the success you've had is phenomenal What's the one thing you would say to yourself four years ago that you, you kind of wish you, what, what's the one piece of advice you would say over the last kind of three, four years that you, um, you know, you would like to say to yourself just to give yourself a bit more comfort that you were going to get there? Does that make sense? Yeah, um, I would say don't, don't always take everyone's opinions to heart. Everyone has their own opinion, whether you're fundraising, whether you're engaging with customers, whatever you're doing. And I think, you know, sometimes because you care about something so much and you just want your company to do so well, when you'd maybe get like an investor saying, no, it's not going to work. Don't like the ad. No, don't like that. Like sometimes you've got to put that aside and think, well, think of the reasons why you're doing it and the good things and why this company is going to be successful. So absolutely, I think. Um, and to be honest, I think, the, I think when you know less about things, you can be even sometimes more confident when you know more, you know what to sort of expect, which sometimes can put you on the back foot. So I'd absolutely say, I'm glad I don't actually know what I know now <laughs> through fundraising, or I don't know if it's put me off a bit because, you know, I have had some hard times with it. It's not been an easy journey. It's been very difficult. And also, you know, not forgetting I'm in, tech, in the tech world. 
you know I'm in a new new you know immersive tech world where not many females are seen anyway regardless of in the investment world so and the education world you know I deal with a lot of academics a lot of people that are still are still uh, got males have got those positions so I have been um yeah, you do. You have you have to stick to your guns as well on what you know. You know, you've got to be confident. Do do research as well. Make sure you're you know you're very confident going into anything. That sounds like very wise words, Chloe. Well done, and congratulations on how far you've come. I think you know even being here today is a way to savor how much you've achieved so far. So let's everyone give a big virtual hand of applause to Chloe and say. So we're going to go on to our final speaker today um, and I'm delighted to welcome Abby Mayen to the room or the Zoom and Abby I'm going to hand straight over to you. Tell us who you are, where you work, what you do and I know you're going to give us a few angles from an investor point of view. Amazing. So yeah, hello everyone. I'm really, really happy to, to be here today. So thank you so much Claire Marie for, for inviting me. It's actually quite interesting because I met Claire Marie at a, a similar event um, a couple of weeks ago with, with Harveen and Hattie, who are also on call today, um, very much looking at this focus of how can we boost the accessibility for, for female founders and for female investors in this space. And it's something that I find just so important from the female founders that I speak to on a, on a daily basis or the contacts that I have who find it really difficult to get into female um, angel investment. So, yeah, I'm absolutely delighted to, to be here today and to be able to contribute towards making that a more accessible space. Um, something that, that Jenny mentioned in, in her talk earlier really kind of rang true for me and, and the fact that angel investment is a team sport and it's about knowing where the opportunities are. So what I hope to be able to do today is to kind of talk about where that angel investment opportunity sits within the wider kind of landscape of investment. What do we mean when we're saying angel investment? But then also to look at when you find those opportunities, how can you make the decisions around it? What's gonna guide you and, and your thoughts and your feelings about whether it's an opportunity for you? Um, and then perhaps too ambitiously, I've also thought about um, kind of giving some tips on when you get to that process, what are the things you want to be thinking about to, to facilitate that? Um, I, every single time I do these talks, I forget to give myself a clock. So please do shout at me um, if I start running Don't over worry, on, on time. <laughs> You've been on it so far, but yeah, it's a serial, serial error of mine. Um, so yeah, just as a bit of an introduction to myself before I get started. Um, so I am a funding strategist at Seed Legals. Um, so Seed Legals, we basically work with founders and investors to make sure that the legal processes surrounding raising investment, preparing to raise investment and scaling afterwards are as simple as possible um, and as least expensive as, as possible. Um, so that's basically our mission. We're currently working with more than 20,000 companies and 10,000 investors. In my day-to-day -day basis, I basically speak to kind of between seven and, and 10 founders a day to understand what they're looking to do from a fundraising perspective um, and to give them tips on really how to navigate that process. When should they do it? What things should they do to stand out to investors? And I think that then gives me quite a unique perspective on also being able to see if this is what a founder should be doing to stand out to an investor. This is what an investor should be looking for to be able to size up whether the opportunity is something for them and whether this is a, a business that they're going to want to go on that journey with. 
So just to start then and look at the investment landscape overall. Um, so obviously when a, when a company first starts and they've got their idea, there's a few stages that they're going to go through before they get to that phase where they're raising their kind of big VC institutional round. As you go through those stages, so from idea to prototype right through to revenue and being able to show that traction, obviously you're starting with a really reduced, uh, with a really high risk. And as you go through that, you're reducing that risk as you go along. Where does angel investment sit in that? So at the bottom of the screen, I've kind of mapped that out against as you're going through that process and as you're boosting your valuation, that's where you might expect to find those investors. So angel investment might start actually as early as the family and friends round. You might get some smaller ticket angel investors coming in on those rounds too, to be able to back that company right from the beginning. But also you're looking at your angel rounds, which is this kind of sweet spot between 100,000 and 300,000, making the most of that early stage SEIS allowance and making the most of some EIS allowance as well. In terms of why that's the, the area that angels tend to fall into, I think it comes down to a couple of things. So ticket size is one. Obviously, when you're coming in in these big institutional rounds, the ticket sizes can be upwards of you know, 500,000, a million, 1.5 million and beyond. So actually, as an angel investor, if you're wanting to put in that kind of 5K ticket, 20K ticket, 50K ticket, whatever it might be, it can be harder to get into those rounds. But actually, more importantly, I think that the reason angel investors come into these early stage rounds where the risk is higher is because typically it's, a, it's as, as Jenny mentioned earlier as well, it's, it's not about the, the financials and so much as the passion and the mentoring and the excitement of being able to go on that startup journey with someone right from the beginning to be able to show what you know and to, to help them get to where they need to be. So yeah, you're typically looking at this kind of between zero to £300,000 as the angel sweet spot. That's not to say that when you're raising more than that, you're not going to have angels, but it might be that you'll have kind of an early stage fund underpinned by some angel investors. Um, and as, as has already been mentioned again today, kind of as a syndicate. So you're looking at having multiple um, ticket sizes, maybe one lead cornerstone angel investor and a few smaller tickets under that. So once you've kind of sussed out, right, this is the kind of, you know, size investment round I want to be taking part in, how is it that you're actually going to be able to make that decision about this is where I want to invest and this is where I want that opportunity to be? So actually, um, I had a conversation with one of the Seed Legal's co-founders um, quite recently, and he's a serial angel investor that had a VC background. So I assumed that he would be kind of very numerical focused, really digging into the financials, the traction, the customers. And whilst all of that is really important, something that he said is actually so much of it is about heart and about his gut feeling and that he'll be in a room and within that first couple of minutes, he'll have a feeling for whether this is an investment opportunity for him. And he then articulated this in terms of when you're looking at the investment opportunity, it can be so, so difficult early stage if you're talking to someone who is an idea phase or who's perhaps just testing the first iterations of that product. It's really hard to back that with quantitative data. So actually what you're looking to do is take some qualitative data and transform that into some sort of quantitative metric. So for example, you might take a series of questions or a series of things that you're gonna place importance on and then use a score on that to assess, right, actually, this isn't, you know, this is the how risky the business is. This is how much credibility I believe in the financial forecasts. So you can take those qualitative questions and then put them into more of a quantitative scale. 
So what are those areas that you're going to be thinking about? Well, the first thing, the best place to start is the problem. Do you understand the problem that's being solved and is it solving that problem? Do you think this is a problem that people you know have had or will have? Do you think it's a problem that the founders have been through and believe that there is enough there of an opportunity for it to need to be solved? Then you're looking onto the product. Does that product actually solve that problem? Does the product exist yet? If it doesn't exist, how is it going to exist? Is there a CTO on the founding team? Is there an agency that they're going to be working with in order to develop that software? You need to have a roadmap for how that product is going to be created and also continue to be iterated over time as it scales. Then you're going to look at the market and the opportunity size. Do you think, I mean, is there previous track record, maybe through some alpha and beta testing of some customer traction? Is there kind of enough uh, traffic? Is there similar opportunities, similar competitors that can help you to decide if that opportunity exists and is therefore something that you'll want to be, want to be part of as there is an opportunity for that to scale? This is probably the most important one when you're looking at early stage investing, um, but looking at the team side of things. When you're sitting in a room with these founders, you need to decide, are these people that I want to work with? Do I believe that they're going to make this journey exciting? Are they going to be able to take this in the direction that I want to go in? You can look at things like their background. Have they worked in this industry before? What's their education or previous careers? But you can also just look at the skill set. If this is going to be a business that over the next six to 12 months needs to be focusing on sales and building out the marketing materials and launching some PPC campaigns, you need to be thinking about whether the founding or the founding team or the founders themselves have the skill set to be able to drive that and take the, the business to where it's going to be with the money that you're, you're helping to, to invest. Financials is a tricky one um, because, as I say, often in, in early stage investment, angel investment, there isn't necessarily a reliable set of, of financials. So it's more looking into the forecasts. When you're looking at a financial forecast, you're going to weigh up, is this something that's actually not showing enough ambition? Is this too small an opportunity and have they not sold it very well? If they're not going to sell it well enough to the investors, they're probably not going to be able to sell it well enough to um, customers as well. So it's looking at the ambition that that founder presents, but you also then want to qualify that with, is it realistic and is it achievable? Because otherwise you obviously need to, to be able to see that it's going to get there. And one of the biggest things when it comes to that financials perspective is looking at the valuation of the company. So I know we've kind of spoken already and the 15% figure is flying around and that is absolutely where that should be. But what the company presents their valuation as can also give you a good insight into that founding team and the credentials and where the business is likely to go. You don't want a valuation that's too low, which is showing that, in that, that they're, they're potentially happy to give away too much equity to be diluted down and to kind of restrict the opportunity for that company to grow through more investment opportunity later. But you also don't want that valuation to be too high and then there end up being the chance of a down round that could affect the price per share and that again can show this kind of negative trajectory of price per share in future which will off put future investors too so yeah it's looking at those financials believing using these other things to assess how credible those financials are how risky those financials are how not risky those financials are to help you to arrive at that conclusion
And then the final thing is the operations. So the biggest part of, of my day to day is helping founders to understand that there are certain things that they can do to make sure that they stand out to any investors and to show that they've got their ducks in a row, that this is an opportunity to be in. So to just touch on that, um, you can kind of break this down into to three main areas. So obviously you've already seen the pitch deck, you've seen the pitch, you've seen the founding team and their backgrounds, but from a documentation perspective, what else have they got in place? Is their company's house in good check or are they currently one share at one pound? Have they got, you know, an existing cap table which shows that they've been realistic with the equity that they've given away or that shows that they have taken care early stage to protect that company in the way that it can grow in the future. You want to look at things like founder agreements and IP assignments. These are really, really important measures that protect both the founders and the investors. And it's something that you should see as, as kind of a, a, an absolute necessity before actually making that decision to invest. The founder agreement being something that shows that relationship between the founder and the company and the promises they're making from a role perspective, from an equity perspective, and the IP assignment being something that shows that the product they've created or that the materials created around it aren't going to be taken away by one key, mem key team member, but that it's actually owned by the company that you're investing in. And then advanced assurance. So kind of explained earlier what SCIS and EIS are. Advanced assurance is the first step in that process. So you can go to HMRC and you can find out whether you're likely to be eligible. Um, that's an, a, a, a non-required step in order to get SCIS and EIS. But as an angel investor, you might be wanting to think that a company who has gone through the process of applying for that and giving you that credential, giving you that reassurance, again, they're doing what they need to show that you're the type of company they want to work with. And then when it comes to the deal, um, the biggest thing that I would say as well is looking at terms in advance. If a founder is able to show to you that they've got their term sheet prepared, that's stellar. That's that's showing that they're they're a founder that knows what they're doing. They know what they want. They know what they're asking you for. And it's going to be an easier conversation for you to work out with that person how you're defining the relationship between you. Are you going to be a more hands-on angel investor? Are you going to be a step back? What are the, the definitions around this funding round that help you to decide um, whether or not you should invest? So I think Henry, I'm running out of time. So yeah. do let me know. <laughs> 30 seconds for what well just so we can take some comments or questions sure so yeah so I guess my my final kind of thing is once you do get into that deal stage and you do start those conversations basically you're looking for economics versus control are you getting good return but are you also getting the right say in the business that's going to help you to have that mentorship role I folded here some of the kind of typical terms that are quite hotly contested and negotiated on. So you're looking at your valuation, vesting schedules, investor consent, what rights do you have to veto on, um, and also looking at that board composition. So yeah, apologies that I've run out of time, but I'll share my <laughs> slides afterwards as I've got some, some data on it that, that can be quite interesting to see. Oh, that would be great. That would be really good. And we might have tried to pack too much in today ourselves. <laughs> so, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily think it's your... Uh, support from your end Abby. amazing well yeah that's that's everything for me but if anyone has any questions then then do let me know yeah so any thoughts observations or questions for abby and just raise your hand or jump in there i mean i find it really enlightening just to see the structure of the investment and where you know 
you know, because you hear all the words, CBC and seed and all, but there's nothing like a good diagram that just helps me. Well, that could just be more about me than anything else. No, I found it valuable. I found it really, really useful. Um, particularly like just the, the breakdown in, the, in kind of how an investor sees a company. I mean, you could look at those slides as a founder and think I need to tick all those boxes about the team, about the opportunity, but it, it was just really helpful. And I've had to put, you know, slide decks together for quite a while. So thank you for that. Great. So, I, was gonna, I was gonna say, Claire Marie, sorry to interrupt. Abby, any observations about uh, female investors? Do they uh, look more deeply or do they require this documentation to be put in front of them? Do they make any comments at all? I think it's an interesting thing in that, I guess, I, I mean, I don't want to, to kind of generalize, but I would say, more often than not you're looking at more of that kind of due diligence and making sure that the research is there but also I think something that I've seen in in, in female investors is that they're typically more supportive so if you don't have those things in place it's making sure that you can get those things in place that they're guiding you on your thing like if you've got an unreasonable valuation helping you to decide how you can bring that down justify it more so I think there is a lot more interest in, in the details of it and getting drilling down into that detail, but also support around making sure um, that you can achieve those things and that they're there as a good mentor, regardless of investing or not. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but do you think they take more care? Yeah, I would I would say so, but again, I, I don't I don't want to kind of stereotype necessarily, but from what, what I've seen. That kind of feeds in, guys, to what Zan was saying earlier on from our breakout session, yeah. just her, because again, I've never, well, I've been helping people get investment, but I've never actually had to be the person being grilled by the investor. So it's good to kind of hear that it's not a single experience of one person, but it's kind of common in the industry. Mm, good observation. Okay, so I am watching time. We only have a few minutes left and I know people are trying to do good practice and not go back to back up to the seconds before their two o'clock meeting. Um, so, but I would just like to formally thank Abby. Let's give her a big round of a virtual applause and say thank you for coming along today and helping us understand the structure of the investor market a bit more. So I have lots to share with you. I am going to go at speed lightning and stuff is going to... Uh, arrive in the chat box as if by magic as I mention it or maybe even before I do and um, the most important thing I would like to mention is the next Angels at Essex female founders and investors event is on Wednesday the 7th of July and it's at the same time 12 30 to 2 so please put it in your diary um, there are lots of other activities that Angels at Essex are doing so it's not just female stuff and you're all very welcome to be involved in that some of that includes webinars and events. So there's what investors want to know on the 15th of June. There is an introduction to legal documents for investors and founders. And again, we touched on that a little bit today on the 23rd of June. There's more information about investment or loans on the 29th of June. And there's a pitch event dun, 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 on the 7th of July um, from 10 o'clock to 12 o'clock. So you will notice that's the same date as our event at lunchtime and it's perfectly scheduled to be beforehand if you want to entertain yourself for the full day. Um, other stuff that's happening, I know there's another pitch event actually that Harving is involved in. She's had to leave, but I did promise her I would mention it. And it's on Tuesday, the 15th of June at two o'clock. And it's a combination of Eve, 
angels investors and also gc angels so um you can check that out and if we don't have the details i'm sure a suitable search engine can find that for you or connect with harveen and again you know we are about building community here so i'm sure you're doing this automatically do connect with each other do linkedin do have follow-up one-on-one telephone conversations um, and build those relationships with each other and then other things that some of us are involved in um, I'm, I'm remembering that last, last month we talked a lot about the Manchester Essex link that we're forming. Myself and Chi Chi and Natalie are actually based in Manchester. So the northeast of England is fine and Nigeria is fine. We're building global trade here. Um, but we have a Women Leading in Business Network event next week on Wednesday, the 16th of June, 9.30 to 11.30. And that's in partnership with the, Women Lead, with the Women's International Network. And again, that's like a mini business conference of women in leadership if you fancy that um, also female tech founder the next event is on wednesday the 23rd of june and that's over lunchtime and that's also going to be done with tech returners so that's going to be really interesting and then there is a pitch fest east of england on the 24th of june john i'm going to give you minus 20 seconds to talk about that if you want to say what that is Okay, it hasn't been officially announced because it's been embargoed, but you've heard it first here. There is an East of England pitch event and applications will open on the 1st of July, which of course is before our next meeting, which is why I'm letting you know first. So we will circulate that information as soon as it's available. Thanks for coming great. along today. We really appreciate it. It's great to see you and I hope to see you on Wednesday the 7th of July at the same time in the same place.